Thank you, Anne, for that ministry of music. Communication is very important. We need to choose our words wisely and advisedly. Communication in marriage, of course, is also very, very important. And when one goes to counseling in order to improve one's communicative skills, there are some do's and don'ts. And one of the major don'ts is don't use the word always. Don't use the word always. You're always late. You're always leaving your socks on the floor. You're always complaining. Well, it probably isn't true. Even the person who is habitually late can think of one time in their life that they were on time. It's not true that I'm always late. I remember ten years ago, very well. There was a picnic and I got there ten minutes early. Don't tell me I'm always late. I'm not always late. That always isn't true. It's not true of people. We need to cut it out of our vocabulary. It's a non-starter. It's inflammatory, argumentative. So don't use it. This morning we are confronted with a verse. It's Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now think about that for a moment. Are we to take that literally? Always? You mean most of the time? You mean 99% of the time? But you, you really can't mean always. Every circumstance in life. Every situation. No matter what I'm facing. You mean to tell me the Bible says that no matter what, Today, I'm to be rejoicing. Yeah, that's what it says. So, what are we to think about that? Boy, that's got to be pretty insensitive. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm experiencing. You don't know what kind of day or week or month or year or decade I've been having. That must be pretty insensitive to the grief and the heartache that abounds. And Pastor Heller referred to in his a prayer, a, a verse we all know well, rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those who weep. What about that? What about that? What about, what about those times of weeping? Seems like a contrast. Rejoice with some and weep with others. What are we to do with this thought that we are to rejoice in the Lord Always. Isn't that pretty insensitive? Well, Paul's writing to uh, the Philippian church, and he's very much aware of some of the difficulties they are experiencing, even as he himself has been experiencing a lot of difficulties. He was in prison. He was contemplating the possibility of being put to death. He understood the persecution that was coming upon the people at Philippi. 
And yet he says to them, rejoice in the Lord always. And he, and he says that not with a hammer. It's not like, you know, you miserable, rotten people, rejoice in the Lord. What's wrong with you? It's not meant to be this cataclysmic blow. That, you know, it, it, it's not kicking the person when they're down. You know, that, that person who, whose, whose heart is heavy, tears are flowing down their eyes, and then that person that comes up to you and says, cheer up. <laughs> what do you have to be sorry about? It's not that. It's not that at all. It's not a hammer. It's intended to be an encouragement. It's intended to be a help. It's intended to focus our attention in a different way, in a more blessed and helpful way, and say, you know, maybe there really is for us this morning a reason to rejoice. Maybe you've come in really, really heavy hearted. Maybe you've come in with a lot of concern, anxiety. We're not indifferent to that. What we want to do is hold out hope. Even now, even now there's cause for rejoicing. Despite what you're going through, there's reason to rejoice. Let's look at this verse. I'm going to limit myself to this verse this morning. There are three exhortations in this closing section. Three exhortations and the means by which they are to be fulfilled. The first is to rejoice always as we give our attention to the Lord. The second is to be good-natured to all people. Let your moderation be known to all men as we rely upon the Lord. And the third is to always be calm, despite whatever circumstances we are facing, as we place our worries in the Lord. Originally, I was going to take all three of those this morning, but I decided to limit myself to just the first. But there's plenty to say about that. And that is this need to rejoice in the Lord always. How is it to be done? Well, first, the Christian is to be always rejoicing as a result of focusing his or her attention on the Lord. Notice verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. The sphere of rejoicing is the Lord. We rejoice in reference to Him. In reference to Him. The object of the rejoicing is not the circumstance. Now, many times there are circumstances that we would much rather not be in. There are situations that we certainly would rather not be going through. And the idea isn't that we are to rejoice because of the circumstance that we are to be in, but we are to rejoice in relationship to Jesus Christ in the midst of that circumstance. So the object of our rejoicing is the Lord. And as a result, the Christian is to be rejoicing constantly or consistently. Notice verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Consistency comes as a result of rejoicing in the Lord as opposed to rejoicing in the circumstances. Our circumstances may change, but God does not. Our circumstances can be good or bad, pleasant or unpleasant. We can have our ups and our downs, but God never 
changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is the same whether there are just delightful, wonderful, exciting, fulfilling, pleasurable circumstances coming into your life, or whether they are dreary, oppressive, fatiguing, worrying, dreadful. God is the same. Certainly, there are some circumstances in life in which it is far easier to rejoice, where the reason to rejoice is quite apparent. For example, turn with me to Philippians 2.25. As Paul has much to say in this book about rejoicing, Philippians 2.25 through 27. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him. And not in him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, in order that when you see him again you may rejoice. Now Paul says, you'd always rejoice. And here Paul says, now I've sent Epaphroditus to you, so that when you see him, you may rejoice. Obviously they're rejoicing because he's better. Because he who was sick close to death is now in their midst. How wonderful, exciting, great that is. And so, of course, they are going to rejoice. There are certain situations in which it is far easier to rejoice than in others. There are situations that are naturally given and prone to our rejoicing. Nobody has to tell us to rejoice. We just do it. It's natural. Of course we're excited. Of course we're grateful. We are rejoicing. Such as when one is sick and close to death and God brings them back. Wow, what a cause of rejoicing. What a, a delight that is to walk into that kind of hospital room when that good news is said. Well, how wonderful it is to visit the person once they're out of the hospital. Once the surgery has been performed and you see the grace of God manifested. Of course, it's easier to rejoice in that situation. There are situations in life where the cause for rejoicing is abundantly clear and is thus magnified. Look with me at Philippians 4.10. Philippians 4.10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Paul receives this wonderful gift that came at the hands of the Philippians. And he says, when I received this gift, I rejoiced greatly. And that simple little modifier tells us a lot. And that is that our rejoicing is in degrees. 
that he characterized that rejoicing as a, a great, a tremendous rejoicing. With the implication that there are lesser aspects of rejoicing. That our rejoicing isn't is always filled with the same kind of enthusiasm and excitement, although it should always be authentic. But it can be in degrees. It can be in degrees. So that we're not impervious to our circumstances, but yet it goes beyond our circumstances. No matter what the situation, there is to be a cause for rejoicing. And that cause is to be found in the Lord Jesus. Notice in verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. As we think upon God, we have reasons to rejoice even in the darkest hour. Now, this is much more than mere positive thinking. This is more than looking for the silver lining. Or the light at the end of the tunnel. Or the blue skies following the rainy weather. Or all of the cliches that we have all heard. It's not just positive thinking. It's not burying our head in the sands and denying the situation we're in. It's not saying what I'm going through isn't true and therefore I'm going to just not think about it and I'm going to think about something else. It's not that. But it certainly has a lot to do with the way we characterize the situation that we're in. And so it's no wonder that this is followed with Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure... Whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Certainly the things that we dwell on, the things that we reflect on, the things that we constantly run through our minds are going to have a great impact on our ability to rejoice. I I think of the account in John chapter 11 of Jesus and Lazarus and the raising of Lazarus from the dead. What strikes me in that account is that Mary and Martha say the exact same thing to Jesus, word for word, when they encountered Jesus after Lazarus had died. Even though they're separated in time and even though they are separated in distance from one another, Mary and Martha say the exact same thing. Which says to me that in the three days after Lazarus had died, they tried to console themselves, comfort themselves, encourage themselves in the faith with the same thought. The words they greet Jesus with are these. If you would have been here, our brother would not have died. If you would have been here, our brother would not have died. That brought them comfort. That brought them encouragement. They thought they were complimenting Jesus. They were saying, if only Jesus would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. 
But if you know the text, Jesus purposefully waited and did not go so that Lazarus would die. That seems mind-boggling, but I'm going to leave you hanging there. I'm not going to go through and exegete the text. But I would say to you that it was a backhanded compliment. If you would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Now let me ask you, did Jesus have to be present to heal Lazarus? No, we find that out from the centurion servant. He could heal from afar. He could heal from a distance. What they were solacing themselves in wasn't the truth. Wasn't the truth. So we need to be very careful how we rationalize our Christian faith. We need to be very careful about the answers we give ourselves to tough questions. Why is there evil? Why did God allow this to happen? And I would say to you, don't answer those questions in any way limiting the power of God. There's no solace in that. Don't limit the power of God. Don't say this happened to me because it's beyond God's control. Don't say this happened to me because God couldn't do anything about it. Don't go there. Rejoice in the Lord. There is plenty in our understanding of who the Lord is to rejoice in Him. But again, this isn't easy. The difficulty of rejoicing in the Lord consistently is demonstrated by the repeated exhortation. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And just so we don't miss it, again, I will say, rejoice. It's, it's repeated. It's as though Paul were anticipating the question, did I hear you right? Did, did he say what I just thought he said? Rejoice the Lord always. Yeah, you, you got it right. That's what I said. Rejoice in the Lord. It's hard. And again, isn't that pretty unrealistic or even insensitive? Paul is not saying this harshly. He is saying this lovingly. Even as we already noted, we have the verse, Rejoice with those who rejoice and with those that weep. So, we're not to use this, this verse, Rejoice Lord Always, as, as a sledgehammer or as a whip. We don't use this word with harshness. As we are in the presence of someone who's gone through some great tragedy. We don't barge in upon them and say, Rejoice in the Lord! Brother, quit your tears, quit your crying. Right out loud, rejoice in the Lord. No, it's not that at all. But rather, it's, it's a longing, grateful, gracious invitation. I understand your misery, your heartache. I'm touched by it. I feel it. But brother, there's still reason to rejoice in the Lord. That's the thought. No matter what you are facing today, there's still reason to rejoice in the Lord. Don't lose sight of the Lord's goodness, His grace, His sovereign will, and plan.
And lest we misunderstand, we have numerous examples in the book of Philippians to help us get to the crux of what is being said when we are to rejoice in the Lord always. At the end of this book, Paul exhorts the Philippians to follow him. He says, the things which you have heard and learned and received, and then here's the most spectacular of them all, the things which you have heard and learned and received and seen in me, do. Paul isn't just telling the Philippians to rejoice. Philippians, Paul isn't just preaching at them. He is encouraging them. And he's inviting them to experience what he has experienced. And that is to rejoice in the midst of difficulty. Now look with me as we think about Paul's life, as it's depicted in Philippians. Even while in prison, and people are actually trying to add to Paul's difficulties by talking about Jesus Christ, he rejoices. Look with me at Philippians 1, 15 and following. Paul's in prison. Philippians 1, 15. Some to be sure are preaching Christ from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. Some are talking about Christ out of envy and strife. If you remember when we were there, it had a lot to do with Paul's freedom to still be preaching about Christ. And so they are talking about what Paul was preaching in order that they'd get him in trouble. Verse 16, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Okay, now, as you think about those two things, it, it seems like you would say, okay, there's cause to rejoice and not to rejoice. Some are preaching Christ out of sincerity. We rejoice in that. And some people are, are preaching Christ out of insincerity. We don't rejoice in that. Some people are preaching Christ knowing that it's not going to hinder Paul at all. And others are preaching Christ in order to make Paul's life more miserable. Sounds like there are reasons to rejoice and not rejoice. Verse 18. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth. Now, now, now get this. In every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I will rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. I'm going to rejoice because Christ is being proclaimed. I'm not going to let it bother me that some do it out of sincerity and some do it out of sincerity. I'm not going to let it bother me that some do it to help me and others do it to harm me. I'm going to rejoice in the fact that, God, that Christ is being preached. I'm going to rejoice in him. If you look at verse 18, 
we find that this rejoicing is intentional. Intentional. Notice the end of verse 18. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. It's a determination. It's a resolution. It's a commitment. I am going to rejoice in Him. It is a decision. Where I would tend to think that we most often think of it as an emotional response. This is not an emotional response. It is an intentional, willful, cognitive decision. I am going to rejoice in the Lord. If you look at 2.14 of Philippians, it says... Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And it goes on in the text to say that's one of the great demarcations of the difference between the Christian and non-Christian. The non-Christian murmurs and complains. The Christian rejoices. Paul had decided he wasn't going to murmur and complain about what came into his life. But he was going to rejoice. As he thought about God. This isn't said with simplicity. This is said with a great deal of complexity. This isn't said with a apathy or an indifference. This is said with a passion and concern. Paul knew what it was like. And he says, I rejoice. So this rejoicing is intentional. Opposite to murmuring and complaining. But secondly, I would say to you, it is authentic. Authentic. Real. Paul is not putting on a facade. And he doesn't encourage us to put on a facade either. You know, a, a facade is a you know, fake front to a building. Like you see in the westerns all the time. And if you see the saloon and stuff. And, the, and if you look at from the front, it's big and high. But if you look at the back, you see that the, that the roof line is much lower. It was to make it look bigger than it really was. Or a mask that we wear on our face. Paul is not... Encouraging us to hypocrisy. He's not saying, you know, just don't complain in public. If everybody asks you how you doing, say great and smile, despite what's going on in the inside. That's not what he's encouraging us to do. Hypocrisy. No, he's require he's encouraging us to authenticity. May what we know intellectually manifest itself in our hearts. May we not just in public rejoice, 
but in the innermost recesses of our hearts as we lay upon our beds in the still of the night and we can't sleep because of what we are going through. Let us rejoice. As I say, much more complex than what we might originally think. So, he rejoices, though in prison, and all these things. Verse 19, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I have confidence in prayer. I have confidence in the Holy Spirit. Paul rejoices and even gives thanks that his imprisonment could end in death. Look with me at Philippians 2, 17 and 18. Philippians 2, 17 and 18. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, a metaphorical way of saying that he dies, if his life is poured out, if he dies, upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, now notice these words, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Paul says, I don't know how this is going to turn out. He just said, I'm rejoicing because I believe in the spirit of Jesus Christ and the power of prayer. But, I don't really know how it's going to turn out. We rejoice because we have the opportunity to pray, but we don't really know how God's going to answer those prayers. We really don't know what God is going to do. And so Paul says, I believe I'm going to be released. But even not, even not, even, even if this means this is going to end in my martyrdom, he says, I rejoice. I rejoice. Verse 17. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. In verse 18. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Paul exhorts them in this dual role or function. He invites them to rejoice with him, I think, that that is understood in two ways. Paul says, if I die, I want you to rejoice. If I die, I want you to be happy. If I die, I want you to give thanks unto God. And he sets it up in the beginning of Philippians. By saying, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And if I die a martyr's death, what greater death could I have died? Rejoice with me. In the same manner, think about your own life. Think about what God has called you to do. And even as I rejoice, rejoice with me. Now, Paul gives a third element to his testimony. And that is to serve as an example. So let's look at Paul's rejoicing as is found in Philippians 4.10. And I'm going to look at this section in much more detail uh, than what I'm going to look at it now when we get there. But just some cursory thoughts. First, 
the object of Paul's rejoicing, Philippians 4.10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Consistent. Each one of these statements that we've looked at starts with, I rejoiced in the Lord. All the examples. The degree of Paul's rejoicing. Greatly. Greatly. The impetus for Paul's rejoicing. That now at last... You have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerning, concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. I was so thankful to know of your love and your care and concern for me. I rejoiced. But lest we misunderstand, verse 11. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I don't want you to get the wrong impression. I am rejoicing because you sent me this gift. But let me tell you something. I was rejoicing before you sent me this gift. It's easier to rejoice because you sent me the gift. I rejoice greatly. Thank you. I appreciate it. It means a lot. But it's not determinative. It's not ultimately why I rejoice. Because I've learned in life, in whatever circumstances I am, to be content. The secret or ground of Paul's rejoicing, verse 12. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret. I'm going to say much more about this in the future. But I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. I've learned how to handle life's ups and downs. I've learned how to handle wealth. And I've learned how to handle poverty. I've learned how to deal with my stomach being full. And I've learned how to deal with my stomach being full. Hungry. I've learned how to rejoice in every single situation. Wow. What's the secret? Verse 13. Oh, what a letdown. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You mean that's it? Yeah, that's it. That Christ makes the difference. That Christ gives me the ability to rejoice whether I am hungry or full, rich or poor, with friends, without friends, in prison, out of prison, delivered. It doesn't matter. I'm still rejoicing. For the Lord strengthens me. I invite you this morning to receive the strength that God gives. And you say to me, well, where does that strength come from? The reason I decided to do just this verse 
So I think this is a very, very, very important topic. And so I'm going to work through these verses extremely, extremely slowly. I don't, I don't want to just slop over them. Be anxious. Uh, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is there to help. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Pray about these things. But there's such a depth to these, these thoughts. And so I leave you with this idea in preparation for yet a greater unfolding of the reason why we can rejoice in all situations. Is that we are to rejoice in the character and person of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Rejoice in Him. So, in times of disobedience, rejoice in God's mercy and forgiveness. In times of trial, rejoice in God's goodness. In times of persecution or distress, rejoice in God's sovereignty. In times of doubt and uncertainty and the wondering why, rejoice in God's wisdom. I can't explain it. But I know that God knows, and I know that God does what is wise. I know that God does what is just. I know that God is all-powerful. I know that there is nothing beyond His control. I know, I know, I know. And because I know God, today there's reason to rejoice. Because He's a good God. Powerful God. Wise God. Faithful God. Just God. Omnipresent God who's always with me. I rejoice in Him today. May you rejoice in Him. That's right. O God, open our eyes to perceive and understand your truth and to recognize that in you there's great, great reason to rejoice. When we think of eternal life, we think of heaven. We think of so many things. But Lord, help us today in the midst of all that we are going through to be able to see you High, lifted up, exalted. And whatever the circumstances that we experience this day, whether they be reasons that naturally we rejoice and give thanks, 
Lord, may there be a dimension to that rejoicing and giving thanks in which we acknowledge that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Lord, may we see even all that we enjoy this day as a cause ultimately to rejoice in you. And Lord, in all that we are experiencing and going through in pain or suffering or hardship, may we also see that as a means to rejoice in you. Lord, our faith is in you. Increase our faith. Comfort us in our faith. Give us solace in our faith. Remove the doubts and pain as a result of that faith in you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.